0: Yeah, I don't want to live through hurricane season any more than Rochester does, but I have I do want to go to the Caribbean someday. If I can afford it and do it ethically and not use a cruise ship because I will be sick. <laughs>
1: Welcome to All My Friends who Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends. Almost all English majors read popular fiction with me. This month is Jane Eyre month. I'm reading Jane Eyre and all of its iterations with my sister, Betsy. Betsy, hello. Hello. Um, this week, we read The Wide Sargasso Sea by, is it Jean Rhys? That's how I'm pronouncing it, because that's yeah. how you um say... The shortened version of Reese and in Akatar. <laughs> so that's how. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Reese. I'm assuming the last name is pronounced. Um, this book was really smart, smarter than me. I warned you; it was kind of postmodern. <laughs> yeah, and then my friend Lydia said that she didn't think it was very that it wasn't inaccessible. And I think if I had given myself more time to read it, I would have found it a lot more accessible. But I really cut my time short because I just had a busy week and I found myself really rushing through it. And I would like, things would like jump out at me a little bit, but I still was like, okay, well, that probably means something, but no time. Just got to keep plugging along. I think I put in the outline that I wish that I had been taught this book instead of trying to read it on my own. I think it would have been really interesting to be taught this, like, alongside with Jane Eyre instead of trying to read it on my own after doing, essentially, the Jane Eyre intensive all month.
0: I kind of agree. I feel like um I
1: needed to buy an edition with more footnotes. Do you, as a reader, like... Go out of your way to buy editions with footnotes? No, not unless I'm reading for an English course. Okay, I have a, I have a slightly off topic question for you. Sam wants to read Moby Dick. He just finished reading War and Peace, which the version that he got is like widely regarded as the best translation with the best footnotes. And he wanted Moby Dick with footnotes, and I sent him like a version of the Norton anthology. But the Norton anthology has like equally as many pages of footnotes as it does text. Is there a media reading? Is there a there some has to be. footnotes recent reason- like version? Uh there has to be. Did you say you sent like the Norton Critical Edition? Yeah, I literally Googled Moby Dick Norton anthology. Because Part of the critical edition
0: is going to be footnotes, but part of it's going to be articles.
1: Oh, and essays, like, about Moby Dick? Yes, and a long intro. Hmm. Okay, I will will broach the subject again. I'll tell him I asked an expert. (laughs) I don't know that I'm an expert, but yeah, the Norton edition, he could
0: also try the Oxford World Classics series. That's where I got all my Oxford
1: texts. You kept all your Norton anthologies, right, from college? Mom couldn't convince you to get rid of them?
0: No, I kept my anthology of English literature. I always had the shorter version of the American literature one. And I kept all my critical editions. Yeah. Now I own three copies of Jane Eyre.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I have two different Norton anthologies, too. I have the the Complete Works of Shakespeare, the newest, well, newest at the time that I bought it. I think it's like the seventh edition. And then I actually have the Norton Anthology of Grimm's fairy tales that are the annotations oh, cool. are all done by Maria Tatar, who also wrote The Heroine with a Thousand and One Faces. So maybe I should not feel quite so um maybe I can call myself like ten percent an English major. Like I don't have no legs to stand on on this podcast. Yeah. You took one more English class in
0: college than I did business class. That's true.
1: Well, and I took a bunch of history classes, and specifically, like, historiography was the most interesting one that I took, which was, like, the study of the writing of history. Um, which I found to be just, like, fascinating, because really what you're looking at is, like, propaganda. Like, history as propaganda, in a way. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to read the back of the book? Do you want to? Do you want to tell me a little bit? What do you know about this author? Uh, she wrote this. Um, I can see
0: on the back a list of other things she wrote, but this is the one that is the most well known, I believe. Um, she also wrote a lot of short stories.
1: Um, so so I will. You. I think I read that she's a post-colonial author. What does it mean to be a post-colonial author?
0: So she wrote in a time period when everybody was giving up their imperial holdings, and she herself is, I think, Caribbean. I don't know if she's Afro-Caribbean, but she's from the British-help Caribbean, I want to say.
1: Okay. That makes sense. I have the book in front of me if you'd like me to read the back
0: uh oh she grew up on the caribbean island of dominica
1: nice from the age of 16
0: she mainly resided in england cool okay okay uh i can read there will be two different backs we have two different editions of this one.
1: Ooh, nice okay i can go first john okay. reese's reputation was made upon the publication of this passionate and heartbreaking novel in which she brings into the light one of fiction's most mysterious characters, the madwoman in the attic from Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Set in the Caribbean, its heroine is Antoinette Causeway, a sensual and protected young woman who is sold into marriage to the prideful Rochester. In this best-selling novel, Reese portrays a society so driven by hatred, so skewed in its sexual relations, that it can literally drive a woman out of her mind. Some of mine is the same.
0: But uh, White Sargasso Sea, a masterpiece of modern fiction, was, John, was Jean Rhys's return to the Literary Stage. She had a startling early career and was known for her extraordinary prose and haunting women characters. With White Sargasso Sea, her last and best-selling novel, she ingeniously brings into light one of fiction's most fascinating characters, The Mad Woman in the Attic from Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. This mesmerizing work introduces us to Antoinette Causeway, a sensual and protected young woman who was sold into marriage to the prideful Mr. Rochester. Reese portrays Cosway amid a society so driven by hatred, so skewed in its sexual relations, that it can literally drag a woman out of her mind. So that last sentence they really like in summaries of this book.
1: Well, and they both call her sensual. I did not find her to be very sensual. I found her to be very innocent. Yeah. Like, that's weird.
0: Yeah, it's kind of an odd way to describe somebody.
1: I also think, like, and foul on me if I did not read closely enough, but I thought the implication of sex between Rochester and Antoinette was, like, very, like, unclear. Whereas when he, spoiler alert, sleeps with one of the servants, like, it's very clear that they had sex. No, I think that's true.
0: I think part of that is that um, Antoinette is his wife. Victorian, this is not a Victorian book, but the time period in which they were living was big on, in some households, the idea that your wife was a person you respected and other women were women that you had pleasurable sex with.
1: Don't like that. Well, and I think she no. makes very clear, like, the author makes really clear that, like, Rochester is a Victorian man. Yes, he is.
0: And he does seem to think that his new wife is really only good for one thing.
1: Two things. 30,000 pounds and babies. Oh, I also um think that they are really... I wish that I knew more about what was happening on each specific island in the Caribbean at this time, because it also uses the phrasing on the back of mine, sold into marriage to the prideful Rochester. Like, I mean, he does receive 30,000 pounds for marrying her, but also the first third of this book is about Antoinette being chased from her childhood home because her family is white. But, like, the slaves have recently just been freed from this island, and the new pecking order hasn't really been established yet, and there's a lot of, like, race and class issues happening that I felt, like, went right over my head. So, like, I bet that Jean is really doing something with saying sold into marriage specifically with the word sold but like what are we supposed to be getting as the reader about slavery like from all of this like I feel like I just missed it because again I wish it had been taught to me I don't know so I think she set
0: this a little later than it would have been set during and it was set in Jane Eyre because Britain outlawed the slave trade earlier than we did. Shocking. Mm-hmm. I know. We were the last to do it. Um, but then in 1833, they universally outlawed slavery everywhere. So that is the point at which it, as I understand it, would have become illegal in all the colonies, regardless of whether the slaves were born there or kidnapped and sold there. And it's not just that Antoinette's family is white. It's that they are white former slave owners. Okay. So, like, in South Africa, there was also that hierarchy. The Afrikaners were super racist. The British were only kind of racist.
1: Mm. Two kinds of white people. Okay. Okay. So, she is particularly villainous. In the eyes of people, she wants to be close to, because yes, she is so isolated in this book, so so isolated. And yes, the people. She's,
0: Go ahead. She's on a plantation, and then the plantation burns down, and she's living with her mother and stepfather, or her stepfather. Her mother goes crazy when the plantation burns. Um And then she's at a nunnery. And in all of this time, she never really meets a lot of people. Except that there are people that she meets that we don't see. It sounds like there is a potential first marriage to
1: what may have been a cousin. Oh, I didn't know that was the implication. Because I thought that that was just, like, a potential for a first, like, she could have married someone besides Mr. Rochester and it didn't happen, was how I read that.
0: There was certainly an affair going on.
1: Um, I don't know if the affair was going on
0: before or after she married Rochester, but it makes his sleeping with the maid seem a little more okay. Huh. She may not have been entirely faithful. <laughs> Maybe not okay, but at least
1: reciprocated. Oh my gosh, I missed that entirely. Like, I noticed the cousin, and I noticed he was mentioned, but, like, I saw no implication of an affair besides after she went crazy. And we should, you, Betsy, I think you should summarize the book, because I feel like I did a really bad job summarizing last week, and I think you did a really good job the first two weeks. That's okay. Last week was a complicated book. And this one is complicated um... for different reasons.
0: Yeah, but the POV is a little more coherent. Um, So, Antoinette uh, lives in Jamaica. Um, Her mother is from Martinique, which was a French colony. Uh, And Jamaica was a British colony, so probably some tension there. Um, Her father dies, the slaves are all freed, and... Her family, which was white and wealthy and owned a lot of slaves, becomes a villain for everyone, and also dirt poor, because they no longer can exploit people's labor, and so they can't make money. Um, she has a mother and a younger brother to start, and then her mom marries Mr. Mason, Um and tries to convince him that everybody around them in Jamaica hates them and they need to leave as soon as possible. But of course, Mr. Mason doesn't listen. And then one night, the former slaves come and set the house on fire. And Antoinette and Mr. Mason and her mother escape with their lives, but her baby brother is burned in his crib. And there's a probably symbolic wingless parrot that can't Get off the roof. Um,
1: mm. Symbolism. Yeah, I learned that from the intro. Oh, <laughs> you didn't just English major. You didn't just Jedi mind your way into understanding the all the allegory in this book, all the illusions. No. No, that's not how that
0: works. Even as an English major, the way that you do that at first is you read tons and tons of articles by smarter people than you about (laughs) the book. Anyway, so her mother goes crazy because her son has died violently. And she gets very angry at her husband because she told him so and he didn't listen to her. And now the house got burned down and they have to move anyway um and her husband kind of takes that as her being permanently insane and sends her to an asylum and maybe she did have kind of a psychotic break did antoinette's mother um then he sends antoinette to a convent school um where she's fairly happy for a few years she um makes friends she enjoys the nuns but then She graduates, and her father has died, and her stepbrother moves home, and her stepbrother, who you meet in Jane Eyre, he's the one whose arm she tries to bite off, has decided to marry her off to Mr. Rochester. And then in the next part of the book, we meet Mr. Rochester. He spends the first couple of weeks in Jamaica with a bad fever, and then the third week, getting married to a woman he just met. So that's going to go well. Um he they honeymoon um what I think might be the old plantation property. That house is destroyed, but they're not too far from it. Um and initially he they're in the honeymoon phase. He lusts after Bertha. He thinks she's fascinating, but there's never any real love there. And Bertha is young and naive and she wants a love match. And so she goes to her old, uh, slave, Christophine, who is one of the few slaves who decided to stay and become a paid servant once everyone was freed. Um, and Christophine practices Obeah, which is kind of like voodoo. I'm sure I'm being insensitive to somebody's religion by saying that, but that's the closest that I can get as a white Christian. Um, And um, she gives Antoinette what she says is a love potion to help Mr. Rochester fall in love with her again. But she warns her that it never works for white people the same way. And indeed, Mr. Rochester ends up drinking poisoned wine and deciding that his wife has gone mad. And then as if there's some sort of confirmation bias there. She's so depressed from mourning the loss of that relationship that she actually does go mad and becomes an alcoholic. And he wants to move her. Initially, he decides to move her to Spanish Town, which is another town in Jamaica, with a whole suite of servants. But then he realizes that a suite of servants is going to talk. So he moves her back to England builds Thornfield, imprisons her in the attic with a single servant who's paid triple the going wage. And Bertha or and he renames her Bertha because he likes the name Bertha better than Antoinette. That is also symbolic in some way. I didn't have to read the intro to figure that out. Um and she is stuck up there, not really understanding how days pass, how time passes. She can't go outside. She's cold. She's hungry. And eventually she has a very vivid dream about what she believes she was meant to do when she gets to England. And she goes out and she burns the house down and jumps off the roof.
1: Okay. I have questions for you. Yeah. one. Do you think that Antoinette's mother's insanity was just hysteria? Like, do you think she was just hysterical with grief? And then, like, so depressed it didn't really matter anymore? Because I, I don't think, this book is split into three parts. Part one is from Antoinette's point of view. Part two is mostly Rochester, but a little bit Antoinette. And part three is entirely, is entirely Antoinette. And I don't think any of the women we are supposed to think are crazy in part one or two, seems schizophrenic.
0: No. Um, I don't think that's how uh, the author is interpreting that. Um, and... No, I think in the first part... Um, yes, I do think her mother goes genuinely crazy at some point. But I think the initial issue is that she's grieving. And instead of supporting her through that, her husband can't understand why she's lashing out and decides it must be hysteria and then sends her to an insane asylum, which is the kind of place where you go crazy.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. My other question for you is, how much time do you think is passing in part two? Like, from the marriage to getting back to, to leaving for England, like, how... How much time is passing? Because I think if I understand that timeline better, I understand the book better. I think it was a period of like a couple months to a year.
0: I don't think they stayed there for more than that.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Because this is
0: their honeymoon house. I don't know that they were ever
1: intended to stay in Jamaica forever. I just think it was confusing. Like, I really could not figure out Like, a lot of part two is Rochester being like, I tried to go into Antoinette's bedroom, but the door was locked. Or I didn't go into Antoinette's bedroom because I was like an insomniac and freaking out because I desired my wife. Like, it's very... Like, I could not figure out how time was passing at all. And it was very, very... Victorian in the way that he was absolutely agonizing.
0: Right. And I'm not totally sure either because they didn't date it, but that would be my guess that he wasn't in Jamaica for, he was in Jamaica for a long period of time, but not too, too long. Also, I always got the impression that Thornfield was the ancestral home. Like he didn't build it. Was it? In this book, he built it. Oh, where does it imply that? He draws a picture of Thornfield near the end of the second part and the place where he's gonna keep his wife.
1: Oh. Okay. Let's see. Um, I'm gonna brag about all of the... um, all of the... the allegory that I noticed in this book. One, yeah. they get back to the, like, place where they're supposed to consummate the marriage and there are these, like, frangipani flower wreaths that both of them are supposed to put on and they have white flowers and mr rochester's takes his off and steps on it now what is that telling that is telling us something about their marriage easy peasy and also and also
0: about his attitude toward the island itself and its people
1: oh see there's so much there I will say I felt like there was, like, a Jane Eyre level of symbolism in this book. Like. Oh, yeah. Jean is really sprinkling it onto every page. Um, Something else I put in the outline was that every time I saw the color red in this book, I felt like I was, like, the three Spider-Men pointing at each other. Because I was like, oh, my gosh, alluding to the color red. Jean Reese is trying to tell us something. What was she trying to tell yes. us? Yes. Don't know. Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, but I feel like because of the role that red plays in Jane Eyre, maybe not the role that your senior year English teacher thought, was <laughs> play, but it's definitely a symbol there. Yeah, the color red has to be a symbol here too. She has to have done that on purpose. Not that we can talk about whether she did it on purpose or not, but...
1: <laughs> well, and like I said, I did not read this book closely enough to be able to talk about, like, all of the implications of the color red in that many places. But I did see that she was doing yeah. it. And I know I could have pulled something out of my butt on the AP test if I needed to. I could have talked about the color red a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. I think there's some sense of unrest and insanity there, too. Um, Like, Bertha is never happy when the rooms are red.
1: Well, and in part three, when she's at Thornfield, in one of her, like, fugue dream states, she is begging and begging and begging for her red dress. She wants to know where it is, where is her red, red dress, and why can't she put it on? And, like, I was like, oh... I am being told something, and I don't know what it is. I believe in
0: this case, red is the color of fire. Mm. But also of... This is a dress that they brought from Jamaica. And she only has two, because a woman living in an attic doesn't need more than two.
1: Okay, my other, my last piece of symbolism is Mr. Rochester insisting on calling her bertha even though antoinette is saying that's not my name that's not my name and i want to read a section from a uh goodreads review that i read because i think it made a lot of sense that like he when he is trying not to desire her he is trying to give her like a victorian english name so that he can like act properly towards him towards her but, like, Antoinette, like, he wants Antoinette, like, in the, in the carnal sense. So, um. Yes. In *White Sargasso Sea, we learn that Antoinette's tragic fate need not have been. As she's waiting for her new husband to leave the honeymoon house that was anything that happy, Rochester thinks, if she weeps, I'll take her in my arms. And Antoinette wants to weep, but she's been warned that tears will have no effect, so she holds them back. Rochester, Victorian to the core, cannot tell his wife what he wants and needs. We turn pages, hoping against hope that these two will run into each other's arms and make their true feelings known. Readers must look much. Ugh. Readers must look to Jane Eyre to find Antoinette's ultimate fate, though Jean, Jean Rhys has said that she imagined it as triumphant. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as a tragedy heaped upon tragedy. For even in death, Antoinette doesn't exact revenge on her cruel husband, but drives him into the arms of another. Antoinette might dream a triumphant and glorious jump from the towers of Thornfield Hall, but Bertha smashes to the ground, no one to mour- with no one to mourn her. That, yeah, she got it. Whoever wrote this review got it. Yeah,
0: the ending is very
1: Thelma and Louise. I must admit, I don't understand the reference. So the final shot in that movie
0: is of them driving their car into the Grand Canyon. But the movie stops when the car is still in the air. It's just gone off the cliff, and you can almost believe that they made it across the canyon and away from the police.
1: Gotcha. So this book is very much so, like, at the end, Antoinette is jumping from the towers of thornfield hall escaping not england because she believes she never made it to england at some point they made a wrong turn and that's how she ended up trapped in thornfield hall but we know as the reader that like essentially what we saw was a crazy woman who'd been locked in the attic committing suicide right but this
0: so to speak this freezes with her still in the air
1: Yeah. Oh, like this one? Let me... Oh, I gotta look at the end. I gotta look at the end. I mean, it doesn't. It freezes with her...
0: With the candle lit. She's going to burn down the hall. She is.
1: Excellent. Okay, that is all the symbolism that I noticed. I think the Bertha versus Antoinette thing is just sad. It's sad. I... I think that it would be really really disheartening generally as a woman to be married to a Victorian man whether or not you were a perfect Victorian wife but like it feels um it feels very abusive like the rest of it I'm like oh that's just a Victorian marriage but like rebranding your wife is very recognizable as like an abuse tactic that I think we still see in present day where it's like oh yeah Yeah, I married you when you were this now let me change you and isolate you and make you feel like you are even more isolated from a community that you were already frankly like as a former white slave owner trying to make friends with a bunch of people of color on the island like Like, Antoinette is already isolated from the community she wants to be a part of, and she also cannot become Bertha for Rochester. Like, trying to rename her just further isolates her.
0: That's true. And, um, I appreciate, um, that they did that here. In the book, her legal name is Bertha, because Richard Mason also refers to her as Bertha. But, In this version, yeah, he's almost trying to nullify her identity as a woman from the Caribbean. He wants her to become the wife that he always expected to have.
1: Let's talk about... Guys, Betsy beat me to the outline this week, which is kind of crazy. I think it's the first guest to ever beat me to filling out the outline. And I really like the topics that you put in here. So... How did, the first thing you have in here is that Antoinette has a frightening lack of autonomy. What made you put that?
0: Well, that was kind of my impression throughout the book. She's just carted around by the people in her life and she doesn't get to decide where she goes or what she does or if she marries, who she marries. Um, And I feel like this is still Jane Eyre month. Jane Eyre, is kind of forced into her circumstances, but she also feels like she has some kind of a choice about it. And she picks her servitude. Yeah. It was, it feels like Antoinette should have more autonomy than that because she's rich. Like it was unusual for her. Well, no, I guess it wasn't unusual for her to bring money into the marriage. That is the English system of dowry that's to me I think
1: yeah she doesn't fight her lack of autonomy at all that's what's surprising is because we do see a lot of her emotions when we're reading from Antoinette's point of view and it's not like she's Eeyore like she isn't no. verbalizing life happening to her But everything that we see, it's just like, oh, and here comes another sucker punch to Antoinette.
0: Right. I think she goes crazy under the weight of it all.
1: Yeah. Well, and something that I thought was strange in this book is, I think, and maybe Jean is doing this on purpose... It is really, really, really unclear whether or not Rochester is poisoned by the letters that her cousin is writing about mental illness in the family to him. That was a... Oh my gosh. You would have... I would have had to cross that out and try to rewrite that sentence six times on an essay before I figured out how to make it phrased into three short sentences. There's a cousin to Antoinette who writes Mr. Rochester letters these letters say like antoinette's mom went crazy and antoinette's going to go crazy too and didn't you know that she had like a mentally disabled brother and you know all of this stuff yeah i think he was poisoned by that i also think
0: that um she was or but i i don't think he believed daniel daniel didn't seem very credible but then she kind of confirmed that he might be more credible than he appeared by trying to poison Mr. Rochester. Even if that's not what she was doing. The idea that she put something in his wine and then he slept for three days.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that he is poisoned by the letters from the cousin, but I... Like, part one and two of this book, like, they both just seem really trapped. Like, nothing about Antoinette is, like, giving crazy. But, like, part three, she is, like, seeing things. Like, in a legitimate way. Like, she is schizophrenic in part three. So it's, it's interesting that, like what was foretold comes to pass when there were no signs of it when rochester becomes convinced she is crazy i
0: think that in experiments when people are left all by themselves for a long time they start to experience those sorts of symptoms even if they're not schizophrenic in the clinical sense yeah that makes sense um and yeah i also think that yes he was poisoned against her but also if she hadn't done anything he probably wouldn't have decided she was insane he still would have deeply disliked her which is a thing that starts in the middle of the novel but he might not have thought she was crazy
1: yeah well and it's fascinating to me and I feel like this always happens with really uptight white people that Mr Rochester is simultaneously like riding off Obeah and also is deeply frightened of it. Like white yeah. people love to be like voodoo isn't real magic isn't real and then as soon as there's something like vaguely weird going on they're like it is the witch the witch is causing it but i don't believe witches exist. Okay choose. Yeah, I'm not sure that
0: was as true at the time. I think they had a bit more of a sense of, like, spiritualism, at least as entertainment. The spiritism movement and, like, the fake savants didn't exist till later in the savants. I don't know if that's the right word. They see ghosts, but they don't actually see ghosts. They're just pretending. The fake mediums. Anyway, the that whole thing was Edwardian more than Victorian. Oh. I think. But, um, yeah, I think the Victorians believed in ghosts. Henry James wrote The Turn of the Screw during the Victorian period. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is more sci-fi than fantasy, but than paranormal. Whatever. Um, yeah. And Rochester in Jane Eyre clearly believes in that stuff. Clearly believes in magic? in fortune telling? He thinks Jane is a sprite sent to enchant him. He. Oh, I thought that was just definitely him trying to
1: sweet talk her a little bit.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure how it can be interpreted as sweet talk to say, you made me fall off my horse and sprain my ankle. But, yeah. I do see what you mean a bit and that but then he dresses up as the gypsy like so he's not uncomfortable with with at least european versions of witchcraft
1: well and i know that the scotch and the irish have actually fairly similar like fairy tale structures in terms of like brownies and imps and sprites like they're a lot more like mischief based magic than the ma- than mainland um Europe. Um although yeah. the Germans had some real freaky fairy tale characters. Not in the grim sense, but in like like the the way you kept your kids from going out in the dark at night. Um Yes. But like and the Roma the the Scotch and the Irish are very much so like, leave a plate of milk and cookies out and then someone will clean your kitchen at night. Like, yeah, stuff like that. Like, I actually really like fairy tales in that sense. I thought that Rochester, Rochester of Jane Eyre, not Rochester of White Sargasso Sea, was kind of being like, Oh, this bewitching creature, and then was just like kind of being a weirdo. You'd you think that he like really was kind of like like he meant it in a truer sense than I interpreted it when he called her a sprite and said all those things. I think he might have, at
0: least at first. I think post engagement, yeah, he was sweet talking her. Gotcha.
1: Um, you asked one of my favorite questions on the pod, which is, can we trust the narrator of this book? It's a hard no from me, from both of them. Me too. She is
0: unstable, and he is really interested in getting rid of her.
1: Yeah, even when he is attracted to her, like, the first couple of sentences of part two are him basically being like, can't believe I've been saddled by this wife. He wanted to sow his wild oats, and his dad
0: and his brothers said, No, you're gonna go get married and not catch the French disease.
1: Yeah, it. The whole tone of his sections are resigned and angry. Like, or agonizing. And not agonizing in the Mr. Darcy way, where he's like, Oh, Elizabeth! Like, it's literally just like, Oh, Please kill me. Like, (laughs) cannot believe this is my life derogatory. Yes,
0: I agree. The Bronte heroes were a bit heavier angst than Jane Austen's characters. Because all of Austenian angst was like social conventions. Can I marry Beneath Me? Yes. Should I tell her she's beneath me? Apparently also yes, but really no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in Jane Eyre, they're dealing with actual problems. Bertha is an actual physical impediment to their marriage.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. I, um, I agree with you that neither narrator is trustworthy, because... Both of them are very, woe is me. Both of them are very, this is happening to me. Not, I have any sort of control over my own fate. I also think it's interesting. I don't think that we're really supposed to feel like any sympathy for Rochester by the end of this book. But I think you do feel a little bit of sympathy for him at the beginning. Because he... like, he, t- in a sense, is trapped in this marriage the same way that she is. But by the end, you're kind of like, oh, you're just being a whiny baby. Yeah. He marries rich.
0: And that is kind of odd. Like, in often novels, the hero always has the money. And then he marries the heroine, and suddenly she also has £10,000 a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe by the time that we had gotten to the Victorian era, could women inherit in the Regency era? No. But they could inherit in the Victorian era.
0: Also, no. Only, I think widows might have inherited their husband's property, or single women might have inherit. single women who were, like, the only option might have inherited their father's property. But no, women did not inherit the estate. There were no mistresses of estates.
1: So Jane Eyre was writing, so Charlotte Bronte was writing a little bit of fan fiction when she wrote Jane Eyre getting the 20,000 pounds from her dead uncle. Oh, no.
0: I think you could do that. But if you're talking about primogeniture, the firstborn meant the first son still.
1: Gotcha. So you could inherit money. But, like, potentially you couldn't even inherit money during uh, the Austin era.
0: But it is also true that in Jane Eyre, the second that she got married, that money became Rochester's money.
1: Gotcha. Okay. I also... You really asked very good questions in the outline. The next question that Betsy asked was, would Jane have remained in love with Rochester had she been told this version of the story? I'm interested to hear your answer. Because I don't know if she loves Rochester anymore, but I still think she forgives him. Because, yeah. Like, Rochester's like 22, 23, forced into this decision by his father and older brother. And also, living in an extremely repressed society that, like, kind of made you feel bad no matter what you did. So, like, I think that Jane, with all her, like, faith and steadfastness, probably forgives. But I don't know if she's like, and I will trust you with my heart again. Yeah, I think Jane has a deep... Moral compass.
0: And I think that the idea that he'd committed adultery with, yeah, I think the idea that he committed adultery in a truer sense, because once Bertha was infirm, they essentially today could have gotten the marriage annulled or dissolved entirely, or they could have gotten a divorce. But, um, I think that Sleeping with the servant on the island falls into a different category for me, and I think it might have for her too. Um, I also think that if he had in any way driven Bertha mad, she would be a little bit wary to get in bed with him. Like, she wouldn't be willing to sacrifice or not sacrifice. She wouldn't be willing to sacrifice her values, but she also wouldn't be... She's smart enough to know that if he's will do it for you, he'll do it to
1: you, I guess. I think that's a good way to put it. And that, like, the next thing that you asked in here was, was there something about Mr. Rochester that eventually drove his wives insane? Would Jane end up locked in the attic too someday? Can this Mr. Rochester in Wide Sargasso Sea, who comes out looking much more culpable, be trusted with another wife?
0: Yeah. Most of that I pulled directly from the intro
1: copy, but it made me think. So he is so much more culpable in this version. I mean, just being in his head, like, shows that Rochester, like, really does. Chase Antoinette away and isolate her and make her feel like none of her other relationships are safe. I put in the outline Did April Lindner, author of Jane, read this book and decide in her version of Jane Eyre that Rochester would have a larger sense of personal responsibility for his wife's insanity?
0: Um. I think she might have. I also think that might have been her concession to present day. I think she made the wrong concession if it was, but that today's men are supposed to be more self-aware. Who knows if they truly are. But in theory, uh, a non-toxic man is supposed to be in touch with his emotions in a way that a Victorian man was not.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, was there something about Mr. Rochester that eventually drove his wives insane? I yeah, mean. Yeah, that is Edwidge Danticat's question, not mine. But maybe? I think if we are going with the original intent of Jane Eyre, which we are to understand, that uh, actually, uh, is it? Who decided that Bertha Mason was schizophrenic? Like, is that just what Um, is widely accepted? Or are we just supposed to understand that she was, quote, unquote, insane? I think that
0: we assumed that. And also, that is what Jane did with her condition. And it makes the most sense. Like, that is... She's not... She might be bipolar. That she's probably not dealing with DID or borderline. she so she's homicidal. Yeah, it just, it feels like she hears, she's hallucinating people talking. Like, that's not, I don't, we're definitely never told that in the original. I don't know that the word even existed back then. But I'm pretty sure that's just
1: what modern day readers have assumed. So I think if we're just saying, like, Drove his wives insane. Like, I think he does... I don't know. I think... I don't know if you can... Can you drive someone to insanity just by being repressed? You can't drive someone to
0: clinical mental illness, I don't think. Yeah, that's...
1: That's my understanding as well. Yeah. Although if you cause someone horrible
0: trauma... That's terrible childhood trauma is how DID starts for most people. Dissociative identity disorder. You create another personality to protect you from whatever's going on.
1: I'm thinking about would Jane end up locked in an attic too someday? I think in... In... Oh, I had the word and now it's gone. Like... Proverbial. I think that Jane could end up locked up in a proverbial attic someday. A metaphorical one? Yes, like a a metaphorical attic. I don't think that Mr. Rochester can probably get away with locking a second wife away. Especially because Jane is much less isolated socially than Bertha Mason ever was.
0: Right, and not now that the whole town knows about the first one. I also think that Jane doesn't have to bend as far to be what Mr. Rochester wants. First of all, he wants her as she is. But second of all, she's already a Victorian English woman with all of that baggage.
1: Yeah. I think my answer is no to the third question. Mr. Rochester should not be trusted with another wife. Oh yeah. No,
0: this version of Mr. Rochester shouldn't be trusted with another wife. And Jane Eyre has too much self-respect to give this Mr. Rochester the time of day, I think.
1: But, like, are are we to understand that, like, this is Mr. Rochester? Like, like am yes. I really supposed to read this as a prequel? Or is it supposed to be, like, a separate entity that just pulls from the original?
0: No, I think you absolutely are. Too many... Similarities. You've got Antoinette Mason, and Mason was her middle name in the, in Jane Eyre. You've got her stepbrother Richard. You've got, um, Grace Poole in the last part. Uh, yeah. Even though she never says Mr. Rochester's name, I don't think, uh, that is definitely what we're supposed to read this as. I don't think it can be canon. I think the only way for something to be canon is if it's written by the original author or with the original author's approval. But that's, yeah, we're definitely reading this as this is supposed to be the same universe. Okay. Personally, I would like to keep it separate. I like, so that's the Goodreads review that I found. Uh, The first paragraph says, Fear of the Fallen Myth Syndrome is what has prevented me from reading this book for years. You have to understand, Jane Eyre was my first adult novel. I was still a tomboy who had only read Enid Blyton's The Secret Seven, when one scorching summer day, the torn spine of a seemingly ancient book caught my attention among a few volumes sitting on my godmother's shelves. I remember that summer as one of the best of my life, and while Jane became my personal heroine and I developed a fervent crush on Mr. Rochester, I discovered an awkward but exhilarating female awareness completely foreign to me. Call me nostalgic, but I didn't want to lose that simple and uncomplicated feelings from my childhood. I should have known better. So the second part says, I should have known better. Reese's novel stands on its own, and it's her subtle and haunting voice that allows us to listen to those who never dared to speak before. I have listened and understood. Have you? Yeah, so somehow this woman gained an increased appreciation for her childhood hero, Mr. Rochester. I'm not sure I agree, but I'm glad to know that it didn't universally make everybody hate the source material, because that would be, I think, a tragedy. And I don't think that's what the author wanted either, although who
1: knows. You don't think that Reese wanted this to be a, a tragedy? No, I don't think that Jane Ay No, I don't think that she wanted
0: people to go away thinking that there was something wrong with Jane Eyre.
1: I agree with that. I don't think that this book means any disrespect towards Jane Eyre. I just think that she is, like, writing about a marginalized character.
0: Right, and there's so much to this about race relations. Bertha herself is white, but she's surrounded by Black people, and... Everybody thinks that the Masons are inferior, the white people who got their post-freed slaves and the black people uh, for having owned slaves. But then there's a part in the book where Mr. Rochester says, basically, I like the idea of black people, and I think it's unjust that they were enslaved, but these people make me uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, he does feel a lot of discomfort throughout the book. It...
0: And related to race, related to having to interact with colored people on a day-to-day basis. It reminds me of something that I read, I think it must have been in my junior year AP U.S. history textbook, Um. where at the time of the Civil War, it was said that Northerners didn't like individual black people, but they liked the race. Southerners hated the race, but they liked individual black
1: people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: don't know that that has, I hope that hasn't lasted into today, but that's what's going, but that seems to be what's going on here. Rochester likes the idea of these distant people he helped by being pro-Wilberforce, who's the man who uh, passed that amendment, but he's not a huge fan of the people that he needs. Jamaica, really any of them, but especially the house servants who are all black.
1: Yeah, Rochester spends the whole book being just like deeply, deeply uncomfortable and feeling like he's being laughed at. Yes,
0: and feeling like he really, he thinks Jamaica is the dream. Bertha thinks that England is this like imaginary place across the ocean. Rochester never seems to really settle into thinking of Jamaica as a real place with real people.
1: I think speaking of Jamaica, I, um, my Goodreads review was a three-star review that said, I did love the writing, especially when Jamaica was described. I was in awe over the lavish descriptions. I do appreciate Reese making dialects for different characters present in the novel, despite me being confused by it, because it connected me with each character and gave me better insight into what this culture is like. This book is very short, and I'd say fairly quick to read if you're in a focused state of mind, because it is very difficult to grasp anything that goes on if you divide your attention for even a split second. I mostly saved this review because of the last one, but something that I'm thinking about, and I apologize if you said this, I am having a hard time hearing you through the headphones. But the it is funny that we are getting Jamaica described as this, like, lush and beautiful land where everything is in bloom all the time. And Bertha is literally like, I want to be in England. I, I want to, like, England sounds like a mythical, magical place, and everything that is wrong with my life here will be fixed if I go to England. And she, like, can't imagine London. She can't imagine an industrialized city. But she's still like, I'm pretty sure I want to go there. So that is just fascinating to me.
0: Right. Especially knowing that we think of Jamaica as the, like, beautiful, exotic land. Um, I loved my time in England, but England was a lot like the U.S. in its weather patterns, for example.
1: In rainier, the that right? I grew,
0: in the food that I ate, it's Rainier, yes, but it's not tropical. And I think Westerners, like Northwestern Europeans, have been very trained and trained their colonies in turn to think of anything with palm trees as like magical fairyland, and anything without as just regular everyday life
1: it's a classic is greener grasses greener situation for this one yes because i
0: yeah i don't want to live through hurricane season any more than rochester does but i have i do want to go to the caribbean someday
1: if i can afford it and do it ethically and not use a cruise
0: ship because i will be sick
1: I will say I mostly chose this review not because of Jamaica, but because this reader said it's very difficult to grasp anything that goes on if you divide your attention for even a split second. I think that's very true. I think there's a lot of implications in this book that if you aren't reading closely, you're kind of like, oh, I wonder what happens in this situation. And the author kind of told you, but if you weren't paying attention, you just miss it.
0: Right. And I will say it's more accessible than I feared. Like, I was hoping that we weren't going to go into, uh, like, a, a, what's the one? Infinite jest kind of situation where it's very thick and nonlinear and nothing makes sense. Not that I've ever tried to read that book, but David Foster Wallace is kind of the, like, intellectual white man's guy. Like, the type of person who says Infinite Jest was so deep wants you to think they're smart.
1: Oh, Infinite Jest is one of those books that if, like, thank God I'm not on Hinge anymore, but, like, that's up there on (laughs) Red Flags. Like, if a man is like, I (laughs) love Infinite Jest, I'm like, and I... Don't want to talk to you anymore.
0: Right. And I wasn't worried it was going to be that thick because I had it in my hands and I knew that it wasn't. But I was worried that it was going to be, make that, be that sort of non-linear stream of consciousness. And it wasn't that. There was a plot.
1: Yeah, I do think as far as like very literary books go, it was very accessible. But I still like... Very accessible for something that was very literary.
0: Right. And this is not the kind of literature that I like either. I like Victorian women's fiction, partly because the plot was linear. Uh, and not just women's fiction, but oddly, I prefer female authors. It's almost like I am one. Um, but because... Victorians were not afraid of a happy ending. They didn't think that made their book less highbrow. And as you get into the modernists, and especially the postmodernists, they're like, life has no meaning. We are all depressed Vermonters who would secretly love a divorce. Nothing can end, happily or neatly.
1: I don't know. I don't think you can interpret the ending of this book as happy, but it's not inherently sad. No, and it is... It's definitive in the sense that you know what's going to happen
0: because you've read Jane Eyre, presumably, if you've read this book.
1: Exactly. I also think that, like, and we can talk about this in CompCon next week, I think this was, like, while it clearly, clearly derived itself from Jane Eyre, like, the least derivative of any of the ones that we read. Like, it derived itself from Jane Eyre in a really interesting way instead of in a, like, copycat way. Yeah, it
0: was absolutely its own piece that just kind of took Jane Eyre as inspiration. Um, Yeah, so the first review on Goodreads that's four stars says, I've always been convinced I've read Jane Eyre. I've even rated it here. I also thought I had at some point in my life seen a film adaptation. But the further I ventured into this retelling of Charlotte Bronte's novel, the more I found myself doubting the veracity of this assumption. Can you imagine trying to read this book and never having read Jane Eyre?
1: I cannot imagine trying to read this book without the Jane Eyre intensive. Like, the reason that this book matters, the reason that it exists, is because of Jane Eyre. For sure. Like, it is. it is. It this book is kind of purposeless it would be really aimless without without jane
0: and if you hadn't read jane eyre it would be very hard to understand some of what was going on
1: yeah okay i feel i feel like we've done a really good job of talking about uh only hundred it's only 170 pages unlike jane eyre's like 600 I feel like, are you ready to wrap it up? Yes, I agree, and we made it to about an hour fifteen, so perfect. Um, this has been all my friends are English majors. Follow us on English majors pod at gmail dot no. Follow us on Instagram at English majors pod. Send us an email to English at English at gmail dot com. Next week is going to be our last week of Jane Eyre month. We are going to talk about all these books together and separately and who our favorite Mr. Rochester was and all of that business. So we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.